Hello, it's Wayne here from Wayne Talks. And today we're going to start right at the beginning. And that is creating your business. The first thing you need when you create your business is going to be an idea. Now, hopefully the fact that you're actually listening to this podcast and you've done your research and you've found me means that you possibly have an idea of some description. The first question you're going to have to ask yourself about your idea is, is it realistic? Is it an idea that is actually going to turn into a product that you can then sell? Problem is, for most of us, the first people we talk to about any idea is friends and family. Now, friends and family are always very useful for support, but for business advice, not as good as you might think, because friends and family are always going to be enthusiastic about what you do. That's why they're called friends and family. Are they going to be useful enough to turn around to you and say, "Uh, that's not a great idea, or that's not a great idea, but maybe if you did this, this is a great idea, or even just a good idea. So the first thing you've got to really do is when you come up with an idea, or you're producing a product and you think that this product might actually sell, is do your research. Now these days doing research is really simple. (laughs) You get on Google, type in various search terms and find out if anyone else is doing it. If anyone else is making the same product, then that could be a good thing because clearly there is a market for it. Equally, it could be a bad thing because what you don't want to do is end up copying someone. It really depends. If you're producing a cup, now is this just a standard cup? Why is it special? And this is the clinch of the matter. Why is that cup special? And the simple answer is because it has a USP. USP, one of those business terms that everyone likes to use, but not everyone actually knows what it means. USP is a unique selling point. You could have created this mug or cup which has a USP of it never tips over or it has an infinite capacity for liquids. an interesting one. If you do have that idea, please give me a call. Um, I'll probably invest in it if it truly works. The TARDIS of cups. Great idea, that one. The non-spill cup, actually, I've already seen. But the USP isn't necessarily down to the functionality of what you're producing. The USP is you. At the end of the day, you've produced something or you're going to produce something and you have to ask yourself one question. Why would I buy something from you that I could potentially buy from other people? And the simple answer is, for a lot of creative people, a lot of people with talent... And again, you have talent. Don't knock yourself. You're sitting there listening to this. You could be in the bath. You could be driving your car. You've come up with something that you're thinking of creating a business around it. That requires talent. You have that talent. Now, the talent here is I'm not just buying any cup. I'm buying a cup that you made. And you are the world's expert in making cups. You might not be, but you get the idea. The fact is I'm going to buy a cup made by you using your skills, using your talents, using your knowledge. The USP is you. Now I can go and buy a cheap cup from anywhere, but can I buy a cup that has been crafted from clay that's come from the Incas by somebody who spent 25 years looking at old-fashioned techniques on how to create a cup? No, I can't. Just purely on the functionality of a cup, yeah, I can go to the local supermarket and buy one. If I want the functionality of a cup that you have created and has something special about it, you are the creator, the USP, then I'm going to buy that cup from you. And that is the key. If you can turn yourself into the USP, then the sky's the limit. So we've got the idea. We've got this basic idea of you being the USP. The question now is, can we actually make something? Can we manufacture it? Now, again, hopefully the fact that you're listening to this podcast means you do have the talent to create something. 
you are already creating it. The problem with most creatives who are creating things is they forget one major thing, and that is time. You might spend two to three hours creating this wonderful pot, or if we go back to our mug scenario, and you've worked out how much it costs to make, and you come up with the price. And that price is based on materials. Possibly that price might be based on the time that you took to make it. But for a lot of creatives at the start of their journey, they sort of, they because it's a hobby, they sort of turn it into a bit of a mishmash and go, well, yeah, it took me an hour or so. Yeah, let's put $10 onto it or £10. The problem with that is that's not costing correctly. If you're going to charge £10 for an hour of your time, you're never going to create a business from that, purely and simply because nobody is going to work for that wage. And you are the person at the moment who has to work for that wage. And that doesn't include anything else like paying for the electricity, paying for the heating, paying the rent. All of these things have to be taken into consideration. I'll give you an example. Many, many years ago, I knew someone who made custom leatherware, saddlery for horses, and they would create some stunning items and I mean stunning these were works of art I was at an exhibition and he had some of these items on display I was curious as you are and asked them how much they were charging and it was something like $200 200 pounds, 200 dollars. And then I said, how long did it take you to make? And the answer was about a week. So you're selling something that clearly has value for 200 dollars and it's taken you a week to make. How much were the materials out of interest? Oh, about half that, about half that. So you're taking a week to make something and you are charging a small amount for your time. Your business is not going to run very easily. And that's the big problem with a lot of people starting up. They forget to cost their time. Then when they're in a situation where they're actually manufacturing quite well, they suddenly realize that they're not paying the bills because they can't because they haven't costed correctly. And cost and pricing is something that's going to come up again and again and again and again, purely and simply because everyone these days has what I would describe as the Amazon mentality. I can go to Amazon and buy X for a very, very cheap amount, probably comes in from China, and it'll be here next day. Therefore, why can't you compete with that? Why can't you offer me that service? Amazon managed to do it. And the simple answer is because I'm not offering the same product. I am not Amazon. I never will be Amazon. And even going to my business, we're not Amazon. We don't offer a service like that. If you want something that is handcrafted, crafted by an expert, an artisan, that is going to be created for you or created for the purpose that it's designed for in such a way that it has an extra element of that USP, i.e. you, then it's going to cost and it's going to cost more than an item bought from Amazon. Fact of life. There will be people out there who will turn around and go, I'm not buying it. It's too expensive. And yes, that's going to happen. They will not be buying your product. That's life. However, there are going to be people out there. And in my 20 years of experience, there are more of those people than you think who appreciate that USP, who appreciate your talents and your product, and they will pay slightly more. Now, how much more? That's the $1,000 question. I wouldn't suggest that a mug is going to be selling for $1,000 or £1,000. Part of your research is looking at what is out there and looking at what other people are offering, looking at whether they have that USP. If you're comparing yourself for Amazon, yes, you're not going to compete with those pricing. If you're comparing with a company that's buying in from China and reselling, no, 
you're not going to compete with those. But if you're competing with other people who are manufacturing something in a similar way, with a similar ethos, then that might give you some guidance as to what is a more appropriate price. Now, providing that appropriate price is above your costs, your material costs, and your time, then you could potentially have a profitable business. Now, I've mentioned that nasty word, profit. These days, if you mention profit, most people will start to scream at you and shout and demand all sorts of things and think that you are some conniving megalomaniac who's making profit. How dare you make a profit? The simple answer is businesses are in business to make a profit. Profit is the money that you make above and beyond what it costs you to make something. And that cost includes things like the cost of staff, the cost of insurance for your building, all of those business costs, the cost of running a business. If a business doesn't make any profit, that business will eventually go out of business because there is no extra money in there to invest. There is no extra money in there to purchase new materials, new machinery, just to cope with the increases exist in life. Let's face it, every single month, prices will go up. When you're manufacturing something, something else you will need is stock. Now, stock effectively exists in two things. Stock exists in raw materials and stock exists in product. Now, unless you're making a completely one-off item and it's always made to order, you are going to be in a position where you should have some stock on the shelf because at the end of the day, although people don't expect you to be Amazon, although some of them do, having stock on the shelf means that you can fulfill orders when someone comes along and says, I'd like to buy a product. And you gain that extra little bit where people are going, I'm, I'm, I'm quite like the idea of this. Uh, yeah, I, I should buy this. Yeah. Can I buy it now? Yes, you can. Oh, good. You've got that crest of a wave of interest and you've grabbed it and now you've got a sale. The problem is if you don't have any stock, they're enthusiastic to buy your product and then you turn around to them and say you've got to wait three weeks, then that, that enthusiasm might disappear a little bit. If you then take eight weeks to deliver it, then their enthusiasm is going to turn into the opposite direction and they're going to be quite negative about your product before they even have it in their hands. Try and make sure that you have sufficient stock to actually fulfill orders. And stock also includes raw materials. The worst thing you can do is run out of raw materials because if you don't have any raw materials, you can't make any product. And sometimes it's the most silly little item. It's a screw. It's a washer. It can be anything. If you need that to make your product and you don't have anything, you can't make the product. That's it. Ground to halt. When you're in that manufacturing position, one, carry more stock than you think. Yes, stock is expensive and that's a problem. Equally, Look at alternatives. If you're buying a screw from factory A, can you buy it from anywhere else? Who knows? That's where you have to try and protect yourself. If you're buying clay from one manufacturer, can you buy it from somewhere else? Even if it's slightly more expensive, the ability to buy stock to continue to manufacture is going to save you when push comes to shove. The other thing in terms of manufacture is whether you're going to manufacture something yourself or whether you're going to subcontract it and get somebody else to manufacture and the simple answer to that is, that's going to be up to you. It's probably going to happen at some point in time because we will eventually start talking about scalability and how businesses have the ability to scale and get bigger without having to rely on everything that you do. You might be working seven, eight or nine, ten hours a day now, but if your orders doubled, would you then have to work 20 hours? That's great. But when your orders triple, then how are you going to work 30 hours? There aren't 30 hours in a day. Big problem there. So scalability is something you might have to look for. When you first start a business, 
The traditional method is you write a business plan, you trundle off to your bank and you ask them for a loan. And the bank then look at it and go, no, or they go yes and ask for some massive amount of collateral. And then you're a little bit stuck because you now effectively your business is beholden to the bank. My personal advice is if you're thinking of turning a hobby into a business, you can create something now and you're thinking about turning into something bigger. So if you already have a job, keep the job because the job potentially can pay the bills whilst you're building a business. There is nothing worse than trying to build a business and realizing that you can't afford to pay the rent. You can't afford to buy materials. You can't afford to keep your house, your home. That's your priority before you even look at trying to create a business. So if you already have a job, keep the job, work your business around the job. Now, yes, that's going to be very difficult, but it's doable. For me personally, I was working at 10 till six and I was going into the workshops after work and I was working till two in the morning. That wasn't occurring every single day, but it was occurring. It was hard work, but it gave my business the opportunity to have my time, but still have the cover to actually pay the bills whilst I've grown the business. In fact, when I first moved into a business unit, I actually worked out the amount that the unit was costing me I could just about cope with on my normal salary. So if everything went wrong, I could still survive. You do not need to spend large sums of money buying big machines. If you're a creative, if you're creating something, you're an artisan, you probably already have some basic tools to actually do whatever you're planning to do. Use those tools to the best of their ability. You will get to the stage where you find that different tools will improve your productivity. You buy more tools when the business can afford them. For me, I first started at the engineering side. I ended up buying a small lathe, which was a small hobby lathe, and we trashed it. We ran it to the ground. The money that that lathe had created allowed us to go and buy a slightly bigger one, and then we bought a bigger one. And I think we ended up with four until we went into the big CNC computer-operated machinery, which we bought on finance. By that point, the company had been running five, six years and had a viable base. And we were using the profit, remember that lovely magic word we mentioned earlier, to pay for the new machinery. So think, can I run the business with what I have, with the space I have, so kitchen tables, back bedrooms, the shed, anything like that. Can I use that business to create an income which goes straight into the bank, allows me to invest in the business so I can build on the business, so I can buy that first press, that first professional potter's wheel. The idea is you're using the business to finance itself. It's the safest way to go if you can go that route because again, if everything goes wrong, all you've done is lost what was in the business. You haven't lost your house, your home, the car, the dog, everything else. Now we come to selling. You've talked about the idea. We've talked about manufacturing the product. Now we've got to sell it. And the question now is, where are you going to sell it? First thing is, it depends what you're selling. And only you know where you can actually go and sell that product. You can sell it in physical places. You can sell it online. Selling online is very useful because it allows you to broaden your appeal and your market. However, there are a few pitfalls. If you're going to sell online, you could consider places like Etsy, eBay, even Amazon, but they are going to be taking a cut and there are a number of pitfalls in operating on effectively somebody else's lawn. If you're selling a physical product face-to-face, -face, then various shows, trade fairs, local fairs, farmers markets, anywhere you can think of that could potentially purchase your product. The key is getting it out there. Now, to sell a product, people need to know about the product and that is where advertising comes in. And advertising is a massive market that makes billions for the companies like Google who offer advertising. 
Yes, billions. It doesn't necessarily make billions for you, or millions, or even thousands. The big problem of advertising, it's very skewed towards people who are going to spend large sums of money. So you've got to be a little bit different. Remember that USP? You, that's where the key comes in. You need to get out there and be you and talk to people and explain what your product is and explain what your product does. You are the selling point. How do you do that? Social media. Now, social media, again, is one of those Hawkmire's dens of iniquity. I hate social media and a lot of people do. However, social media in this day and age for businesses is a massively powerful experience. It allows you to advertise. It allows you to get your message out to people. It allows you to communicate. It allows you to interact. There are so many positives with social media and there are so many negatives. I will actually do some extra podcasts on using social media based on my experiences. The key is be yourself and don't just see it as advertising You want to get out there and you want to talk to people. You want to talk to people who are your potential customers. You want to help them. You want to explain to them why your product is going to help them achieve what they want trying to do. Get onto forums, get onto Facebook groups, get onto Twitter. Make yourself interesting. What are you doing today? What are you making today? Go and look at some other manufacturers who are in your niche and see what they do. Do they constantly post up on Instagram? Now, if they're posting off on Instagram every sale every five minutes, then they're basically just using social media to sell. Not a good idea because most people can see straight through that and they hate it. You want to use social media for exactly what it says. It is social media. Social as in communicating with people. You want people out there to enjoy your products, but they want to know you. So get yourself out there. Explain what you're doing. Show what you're doing. Demonstrate why your product, why you and your product are not necessarily better, but an alternative to what else is out there. Explain the reasons why they should purchase your product from you. If you can do that successfully, that's nine-tenths of the problem. It's one of those things that just will take time and effort. And after a while, you'll suddenly realize that you're actually talking to people who are giving you feedback about their product. They've purchased their product and they're now talking to you about it. How best to use it? Does it suit their needs? And this leads me into the next section, and that is feedback and improvement. Feedback is listening to your customers and so many customers and so many manufacturers die at this point because the customers will try to talk to the manufacturers and the manufacturers just blank them. Don't. Do not do it. Customers are your most valuable resource out there. They are very, very hard to get. They're very, very hard to keep. You want to keep customers and you want to get customers. The feedback that a customer gives you is massively important. Now, there is an old adage about the customer is always right. Rick, have you ever heard the expression, the customer is always right? And the answer to that is, no, I'm sorry. And it's actually slightly incorrect, because the original term, which was from Mr. Selfridge, very famous store in London, run in the 1900s by a Mr. Selfridge, and strange enough, it's called Selfridges, still exists today. The statement was, the customer is always right in matters of taste. Unfortunately, that gets bastardized into the customer's always right. Sorry, the customer is not always right. The customer might be slightly right and might be completely wrong. Who knows? It depends on the customer and depends on what they're saying. But what they're saying is critical to your business. If they're complaining, listen to what they're saying. Because clearly, there is something wrong. Is it a misunderstanding? Is it a misapprehension? Were they expecting something different? Or are they just 
one of those customers. And unfortunately, you will always find one of those customers. They exist. Some people out there just like generating angst purely and simply because they get a reaction. And there does come a point when you're interacting with customers where you have to step back and go, I'm sorry, I just don't feel that I can facilitate our continuing conversation. Always keep it professional. Don't take it to heart. Now, I will talk about customers and complaints later on in another podcast because it's a big subject and I have some experience of customers complaining. Always think, if a customer's complaining, why are they complaining? What has gone wrong? Is it the fact they bought the wrong product? If they bought the wrong product, then what do I need to change to give them more information before they bought the product to explain why that product was right for them or wrong for them? Did they receive the product and it was broken? Generally, that's quite an easy one to deal with. The fact is, Unfortunately, we all have shippers who chuck the items in the back of the bus and smash them to pieces and they turn up the customer. That is something that you will have to factor in as a business. You'll have to deal with it because it's your responsibility. Do not blame the shipper. The shipper might be ultimately a fault, but you are the person, you are the company that the customer paid the money to to get the product. You can't just turn around and go, it's not my problem anymore, it's the shipper. No, it's not. It's your problem because the customer bought from you. You made the choices to use that shipper. The customer didn't make that choice. So it's your problem. And if you have a customer with a problem like that, the simple answer is deal with it. Take it on board and say, I'm really sorry that's occurred. Always apologize first. There seems to be an ethos within business these days that if you apologize, you're suddenly opening up to various lawsuits. Yeah, technically you can, but then you're not selling car insurance. So my advice is, If a customer has a complaint, firstly, apologize. Now deal with what the complaint is. Use that complaint to improve your business or improve your product. If you've got several customers complaining with the same complaint, then maybe there is a genuine issue. Maybe your shipper is rubbish. Maybe the product that you're producing has a fault. If it does, change it, fix it. Listen to customer complaints and use that to improve your product. Not just improve your product, Prove the service. Now, I'm nearly at the end of this podcast. Great news. I will encourage you to have a think about some of the things I've said. The idea, make yourself the USP. So it's not just about the product. It's about the fact that you are producing that product. I am buying that product from you. That eventually gets into something called a brand. Now, a brand, not not the metal thing that you sort of heat up and gets onto an animal, but a brand that item, and I'm buying your expertise and your knowledge of that product. Then look at how you actually manufacture that product. Initially, manufacture it the way you can with whatever tools you have. Then sell the product. Advertise it, because if you don't advertise it, you can't sell the product. Then listen to the feedback that you get to improve the product. You have this circular route. Build the product, sell it, advertise it. Although that maybe that should be build a product, advertise it, sell it. Yep, could work that way around. And then improve it and keep doing that. And in 20 years time, you end up with a business. That's the end of this podcast. Thanks for listening. And hopefully there have been some interesting points that have helped. If not, hopefully the next podcast will have some. But whatever happens, please enjoy building a business, be safe and have fun. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you.